throughout this summer and other summers, and I know from where I'm broadcasting from in Winnipeg, weather extremes are part of the reality of our landscape. You know, we're used to plus 35, minus 35 here. We are very used to flooding. Wildfires can be a thing in Manitoba, but nothing like in British Columbia. And to the point now where there are many experts that are saying we have to really rethink the way we approach this. Robert Gray is a BC-based wildland fire ecologist. He specializes in Western North American landscape fire ecology and joins us now. Good to talk to you, Mr. Gray. Thank you very much for joining us. Yes, good evening, Richard. What's going on here? Help us understand this in the bigger picture. Uh, The landscapes of BC, and as you said, in the West in general, have undergone some significant changes over the last 150, 200 years. And part of that was was, uh, we instituted some management systems where we tried to control um, timber growth and and try to control natural disturbances like fire and insects and stuff. And at the same time, we, we took a lot of the natural ignitions off the land, and those natural ignitions were Indigenous people who used fire to survive. So we have this long period of what we call fire exclusion, which is not only suppressing fires, but taking those ignitions out of the land and then trying to control fire and, and control timber growth so that we have something that can support, you know, basically timber industries, which is predicated on being able to control inventory and make predictions about inventory. So, and then we sort of layer climate change on top of it. So we have, a hundred years or more of accumulation of vegetation on the landscape. Now we have situations where climate change is exacerbating insect epidemics, drying things out. We have more lightning with, you know, every increase in temperature with climate change, uh, longer, drier fire seasons. And um, we now see very explosive fire behavior. We get larger areas burned at higher intensity and higher severity. So they're burning hotter. Um, And it's, just in the process now of of really starting to ramp up it's it's not really a linear situation it's, it's kind of moving to some of a non-linear situation where um it's not going to stabilize it's going to get worse you know we're going to have some years where we don't have a lot of fires like this year i think we're at about eighty thousand hectares burned but we're also going to see summers when we have well over a million hectares or, or probably approaching two million hectares sometimes so it's it's not a great situation that we're in, and it's unfortunately, it's, it's just not going to get better. So if I'm a politician or a policymaker, I'm usually asking the question of officials, is there a way to engineer ourselves out of this or to deal with this? Is that at all something you can do? Yes, it is. I mean, it's going to require, you know, as, as we say a lot, you know, my peers and I would, you know, transformational change in, in the way we manage our landscapes, especially forestry. Um, we're going to have to um, reduce the amount of wood that we can bring off the land just because we're going to have to re-engineer the landscape so that, you know, average fire size starts to decrease. And you do that by making sure that scattered throughout these landscapes are vegetation patches and and communities and forest types that don't readily burn. So more hardwoods on the forest like birch and aspen and cottonwood and more grasslands and shrublands and woodlands and less 
closed forest of multiple, you know, multiple canopy layers and stuff, because that's what sort of tips it toward these larger, you know, more contiguous fires is just, you know, wall to wall landscapes of, of available fuel. So we have to start to put sort of hedges and, and, and blockages in the way of that across the landscape. And it's going to require us to do that on a larger scale. I mean, about 40% of our landscape needs to be in vegetation types that just don't support fire growth. And that's a huge shift from where we are right now. Right now, we want to grow as much timber as we possibly can. And the idea that we need to start to scale that back um, is, it's really disturbing to a lot of people. But if we don't do it, we won't have a forest industry in a couple decades. Is there an entity besides yourself and other academics and uh, and other observers that are leading this charge in the sense that so often we don't think about 25 years from now, but it seems to me that 25 years ago we're, we were, and I remember reading about this, at that point saying that we would be in this position and, yeah, and now you, we're here. I know you're exactly right. I mean, I was in, in back in 2004 after the 2003 fire season, which was very unusual in BC. It was kind of the start of this pattern of, of, of larger, more destructive fires. And the, um, the ex premier of Manitoba, Gary Philman was brought into BC and he did this commission mm-hmm. and I was one of the authors of it. And we had recommended that, you know, we need to do a number of things. We provided 42 some odd recommendations of things that government needed to do to basically get out ahead of this problem. We could see where it was going. And really for 20 years, nothing happened. You know, we really didn't do any of those things, you know, and some of them we did, but not at scale, obviously. Uh, and so it was sort of feel a little bit like Cassandra, you know, it's sort of like, you know, we, we're going to tell you again, and we're going to tell you again, we're going to tell you again, this is what's coming. And The scary thing from my perspective as someone who really closely watches the science is that some of the modeling that we looked at, you know, as part of the last intergovernmental panel on climate change, the IPCC report, was suggest we're going to see, you know, X kind of fire behavior by 2035. We saw that in 2021 in B.C. and they saw it in 2020 in California. So even some of the modeling that we looked at, you know, five or ten years ago, projecting to the future, we're now there. So 2035 is going to look really, really bad. And that's just what makes people like myself very frustrated is because they're not listening and we just know how bad it's going to get. Well, and we have to keep on doing these stories. You have to keep on and telling those stories because, uh, you know, there's an old adage in this business that you don't get the traffic light until unfortunately someone dies but there have been plenty of deaths on so many levels uh, of of this story. And I'm not just talking humans. I'm talking about ecosystems and systems itself. We are very much threatened. And while 25 years ago, and I remember our former premier here in Manitoba doing that report, saying, like you at the time, saying that if we don't deal with this now, we're really going to be in crisis and like I said, we're here now. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we keep kicking the can down the road. And, um, you know, what would be difficult transformational change now, just think what it's going to look like in 10 years' time. It's going to be even more dramatic. That we're, the things we're going to have to do, the things we're going to have to sacrifice 
to get to some place where we can look at our kids and our grandkids and say, we really did something here to try to improve the situation for you. I don't even think we're there yet, you know, and that's what really makes me angry and sad and frustrated. What can we do now? What's the way to start this? Uh, Well, I certainly applaud, you know, uh, you folks in the media who kind of stay on this topic and you keep allowing us the opportunity to talk about it. Uh, Colleagues of mine, we we keep writing, you know, opinion pieces and op-eds. We keep doing the research. Um, You know, the thing is, it's, it is, it is being captured more and it's, and the media is actually doing a pretty good job of, really diving into this, doing the deep dive on this and keeping the stories going. And then for, for interested citizens, it's, you have to engage in the political process and you have to make the, you know, the, the elected officials aware that you are very concerned about this and you want to see action. Don't, don't bring it up with your local MLA and you'll get some kind of a response to it. Follow it up. Keep on top of it. You have to keep pushing these things. They react to wherever, you know, that the heavy burden of news is. And if, if it's something they can easily ignore, they're going to ignore it. But if you stay on top of it and keep pushing it, then maybe we'll get the traction that we need. Well said. You can follow him on Twitter at FireBobBC, at FireBobBC. Robert, Greg, good to talk to you again. Thank you so very much for doing what you do. And we will chat again because this is not going away. Thank you very much, Richard. Have a good night.